the challenges that come up, I feel I'm mostly able to overcome them from the resilience I've built, the self-care tools that I use now. But I actually feel like a lot of the time, my passion is what drives me. So if I wasn't interested in the career I've chosen or the startup that I've created and personal brand I'm building, I definitely wouldn't be able to do it. I wouldn't be able to do it both at any sort of capacity, but being interested in them both is definitely key. And I see it with a lot of friends who are in corporate jobs that they're not passionate about. And then you just ask yourself this question, do you work to live or do you live to work? And it's gonna be different for everybody and there's no judgment to any of it because at the end of the day, we all need to pay the bills. Thank you so much for clicking on this episode of Millennial Entrepreneur. The ambition of the podcast is to show relatable stories from young entrepreneurs doing some incredible things to inspire the next generation, including you listening wherever you are. We've been doing this podcast for over three years and the ambition has not changed. The only thing that has changed is the scale of where we want to go. We want to bring on bigger guests for you guys to show more and more relatable and inspiring stories from young entrepreneurs across the world. The majority of you guys listening haven't subscribed to the podcast yet. All you have to do is click that subscribe button wherever you're listening on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and that will allow us to bring on big guests and ask the questions to them that you really want to hear. And it really is that simple. So thank you again for clicking on the podcast and enjoy the episode. Hey Ali, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Loving the sunshine for once. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's an episode that we've been waiting to record for a long time. So yeah, I can't can't wait to delve into our discussion. I guess um, before we jump in, it would be amazing to hear, I guess, um, a bit of background about yourself because you're a doctor, but you've got your own business. So I guess like, where did it all start for you? Sure, so wonderful to have a chat today. I am a doctor of two years. So I qualified from Bristol, which is where you went to study as well, two years ago now. And I've been practicing for the last two years in six different jobs, because when you are a foundation doctor here in the UK, you rotate jobs every four months. So you get an entire spread of specialties. So I've worked in everything from surgery to psychiatry, and ultimately I wanna work in mental health, so in psychiatry. Um, Whilst I was at Bristol, I very much had this urge and craving to change the system. It probably came from a lot of uh, naive and evangelical thinking around wanting to leave a legacy and leave leave the world in a better place or leave the medical school in a better place than I, than I started. And so I very much got this bug for entrepreneurship and being a change maker. Um, so early on, I saw there was a huge gap when it came to medical students not knowing around nutrition and lifestyle. Uh, theory and application and how they can talk to their patients about it to not only prevent chronic disease but also manage chronic disease there's this huge gap in our training where we just simply weren't taught anything around uh, what the patient can do themselves rather we were taught around uh, the pharmacological intervention the surgical intervention all these so there's no stuff around like preventative exactly very very little um, emphasis on what we call proactive healthcare rather an emphasis on reactive healthcare once uh, the problem's already arisen, how we can put a plaster on the situation on symptom control. So I 
really was passionate about nutrition and all the brilliant um, evidence basis around it for preventing and managing chronic disease and even putting certain conditions into remission like we've seen with diabetes and I knew I wanted to make a change knew I couldn't do it alone and I set up a nutrition and medicine interest group and luckily met my co-founder there and quite literally just like that we clicked came from complete different backgrounds different um, life stages he was a grad medical student already done a um, biomedical degree and I was an undergraduate medical student and we just both had this exact same goal of wanting to make healthcare more proactive not just for our patients but also for the workforce and really allow for a system where we can teach them to look after themselves as well because we know that the healthcare workforce they're constantly doing shift work and unfortunately shift work puts you at greater risk of early mortality because of all the differences in your circadian rhythm your sleep pattern and eating ultra processed food to stay awake and all of that so that's what we did and uh, we can go into more of the ins and the outs but uh, that's where it all really started for me right at the beginning of medical school of a six-year degree yeah. so when you say that's what we did what was the actual process of setting because the concept sounds brilliant right like that makes a ton of sense but like when you when it comes to actually you know putting it into practice what were you guys actually doing exactly so we obviously started off as most entrepreneurs do with a lot of you know, do gooding, and this is the gap, and this is what we want to fill, and you know, here's the gap in the market, the problem we want to solve. Lots of blue sky thinking, and then you really just get a slap in the face of reality of what can you actually do that's possible, feasible, and well researched. And that's a tip I'd really um, hone in on is to say, make sure you research the problem very thoroughly before just diving straight into it and putting things out on social. Like I'm quite into, people take two approaches. People build for the public. So they literally launch the startup in its early phases and build everything publicly, taking you along with the process. Um, And then people also just go in stealth mode and they really do lots of background market analysis, landscape analysis and um, get mentors and board advisors, et cetera, et cetera, soft launches before they go fully crazy into the public. And different things work for different people. But we essentially um, did the latter. And so we researched the problem and realized it's not just something specific to our medical school. It's a systemic issue within westernized healthcare systems that nutrition and lifestyle are left out of the conversation. That's left to the dietitians to talk about with patients, but dietitians are overstretched and there's a shortage of them. And there's not um, actually enough for them to get all the information out to patients. And they're mainly in secondary care, although we're seeing more now in primary care. So to actually get the information out around nutrition and lifestyle through um, the NHS and through healthcare, you really need everyone from the ground up, from GPs who are the gatekeepers in primary care, all the way to specialists, because it's not just the GP's problem, it's the surgeon who's going to operate on you and you need to be medically well and in the best shape possible, you would hope, before you undergo major surgery. And we're seeing this work in um, anaesthetics at the moment where the Royal College of Anesthetics have done some brilliant prehabilitation programs. So prehab rather than rehab, where you are helping someone get to their 
um, optimal kind of metabolic and physical fitness prior to having the anesthetic, which carries a risk, and prior to having surgery, which carries the risk. So you need to be having nutrition lifestyle training throughout all the different specialties and throughout the lifespan of a healthcare career. And so, yeah, we really dug deep into what the problem was. And a lot of our faculty who were very skeptical at the time, although later on became supportive, said, you know, the curriculum's so full, medics have so much pressure, you're in lectures nine to five every single day, there's curriculum crowning, it's never going to work. Others came from this egotistical point of view where they were like, well, I'm a professor, I'm a senior, senior consultant and clinician, and I'm in my mid, you know, middle age of life. And if, if I've not needed it for my practice and for speaking to patients all this time, why would you need it? So really having that degree of inertia and almost, I believe, sense, senselessness to realise, well... That happens in every industry, by the way. Yeah. That, like, well, that's the thing. With, times yeah, have Times have changed, you know? It's completely different to how it was back in the 70s, 60s, where medical health was not at the forefront of our governor, government's, um, you know, pain points as well as healthcare pain points. So... We really definitely need to keep in time, keep in time with what's going on at the moment. Um, so yeah, did a lot of research, tried to get senior support on board, did get some brilliant mentors on board, although there were skeptics and all of that. And we thought, okay, we need to come at this from the uh, from the angle of scientists before we go into full creative entrepreneurship mode. For us to even get our foot through the door. We need to present evidence and we need to present data. And that's what healthcare professionals want to see. So that's when we immediately started um, going down the academic paper route and we collected uh, research data from all junior doctors and medical students, a, a, a huge sample size across the country. And we worked with other researchers and nutrition groups that were on the same page as us. And the data that we collected showed that actually the greatest barrier as to why medical students and junior doctors don't talk about nutrition is uh, not due to a lack of time. And that was the greatest factor that everyone perceived would come out on top. It was actually due to a lack of confidence. So that really helped strengthen our hypothesis of creating the startup because we realise, okay, people actually want this change, but it's not due to the fact they don't have time. It's due to the fact they don't have the education because they're not confident. So how do you create confidence? You create it through training and education. Uh, So that's when we really had the kind of impetus to say, let's just go full throttle. And we formed NutriTank. The idea is what's, what's in the name. It's a think tank for nutrition and lifestyle education, but also the idea of What do you put in your tank? What fills your tank? And using that as a metaphor to say what you put in can have a huge impact on your overall health and well-being in terms of your digestive system and your gut health. And so we formed it and we realized we needed to take two a dual approach. So two approaches that would meet in the middle. So top down, bottom up. Bottom up was the millennial, let's activate everyone on the ground and get as many students involved so we took to social media and tried to get as many medical students across the country to create their own NutriTank branch to really bring that movement um, full circle into life and then from the top down from our academic paper uh, we started working on other research projects to show the problem and we also started getting involved with um, 
much higher more senior stakeholders who were really interested in solving the problem and that led to us being invited to talk on the media and then we had a big BBC News headline in 2019 that said medical students claim they learn nothing around nutrition and that went viral and then that led to us being invited to be part of key policy work and working with Jamie Oliver and going on telly with him so it it was um you know, there is no rule book, there is no um, map to how you create a startup, especially when it's in such a specific industry, you just kind of have to have a really good understanding of what's going on on the inside and a lot of faith that it doesn't matter how young you are, or, you know, what your, your experience is, if you surround yourself by key experts and a supportive team, and you really have the evidence to show that a change needs to be created, you've got all the best chance in the world you've got as good a chance as anyone else so we had a lot of faith and support and maybe (laughs) delusions at some point but um we we made a lot of progress very fast yeah that makes a ton of sense and yeah I, I I completely agree with you there and I guess like battling with the whole thing of we've been doing this sort of healthcare for this many years but like what's the point of changing now that that's so prevalent in sort of any industry that you're trying to change and so I think like every entrepreneur listening has to kind of battle that right um so yeah i I completely agree with you there what what's sort of like stunning to me is that so you built this think tank and now you're a qualified doctor how do you sort of like juggle the two it's such an interesting one because it's the question i get asked the most is how do you juggle it all and especially at medical school which is a pretty hectic degree but what's interesting is i think had i not had the startup I really don't think I would have had much purpose at medical school and um, worked as hard on all aspects as I did. Because when I realised that this was the kind of medicine I wanted to practice, you know, in the preventative holistic healthcare realm, and I wanted to be involved in public health and systems change, I really found it so much more motivating to revise for my exams and do my clinical consultations because I understood and had this visualization that I could manifest what type of doctor I wanted to be and what type of medicine I wanted to practice. And so actually they went hand in hand throughout medical school. And there definitely were times where I got the balance completely wrong and I didn't do as well in a project, paper, um, exam that I wanted to do because I prioritized Nutritank too much. Um, and there were times where I, I absolutely burnt out and felt what burnt out felt like. And I also had my own mental health struggles halfway through medical school um, that weren't really related to Nutritank at all. But because I had such a, a severe kind of life event and uh, a lot of things running up, which led to uh, my clinical depression being triggered, I had to stop all things Nutritank for about five to six months at one point when we'd been doing it for three years or so. And so it what I'm trying to say is that everything swings in roundabouts and you actually can only do what you can within the context that you're in. So if you're looking after yourself and you're you've built uh, you know you've built resilience and you've got a lot of support in a support system then of course you can balance a lot more but if you're 
health goes, which should always be the first thing that you prioritize, which we as entrepreneurs, as doctors, as people don't prioritize enough. When that goes, it's very hard to be responsible for anything else. So I've definitely been on all kind of, uh, I've been on all different phases of the journey of being an entrepreneur, of being at it 100% to kind of to just zero. I need to... And obviously, we're, like we'll we'll talk about that then in a bit of like I guess yeah. what you've seen in terms of research, what what sort of advice you have for like all the young entrepreneurs listening in terms of like how they can manage their physical and mental health. But the, the the thing is, like you're in two professions that both are very notorious for for burnout, for stress, for you know all those things that you just talked about. And I guess mm-hmm. like a, a part of it, yes, is the time that you can manage on both, but it's also the mental capacity that you can spare on both. It's like you're doing two very difficult things. Yeah, and I guess both of them I'm really passionate about. So a lot of the time I'd say the challenges that come up, I feel I'm mostly able to overcome them from the resilience I've built, the self-care tools that I use now. This isn't previous Ali as a medical student. Um, everything's better in hindsight. But I I actually feel like a lot of the time, my passion is what drives me. So if I wasn't interested in the career I've chosen or the uh, startup that I've created and personal brand I'm building, I definitely wouldn't be able to do it. I wouldn't be able to do it both at any sort of capacity. But being interested in them both is definitely key. And I see it with a lot of friends who are in corporate jobs that they're not passionate about. And then you just ask yourself this question, do you work to live or do you live to work? And it's going to be different for everybody. And there's no judgment to any of it, because at the end of the day, we all need to pay the bills. And unfortunately, as you've seen with the junior doctor strikes, being a doctor doesn't pay the bills anymore. So I genuinely... I genuinely live to work and I want to be working until I'm on my deathbed. It's just something I've always been passionate about. I'm a very career driven person and I get really deep connections from the work that I do uh, that really fulfill me as a person rather than just as a professional. But um, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't um, work to live and I guess a lot of people do and that's absolutely fine. But I, what I'm saying is I don't think I'd be able to do both if I worked to live because I'd definitely get burnt out and from the lack of fulfillment and stimulation. So let's talk about this. So you, a lot of people listening have their own business, thinking about starting their own business, thinking about starting a business while they're working that corporate job. I guess like from a from a health standpoint, like what have you seen and what sort of like advice can you give to those sort of people? So I think it can go in two ways and... It's, it can it can become toxic quite fast, which is why I think it's really important to set boundaries from the onset and have clear expectations and actually know yourself and what your values are. So I've done quite a lot of high performance coaching and um, that was really, really beneficial to me. But I only started um, having a high performance coach four years into the process. Uh, and I actually would say that if I'd had the values that I live by now, um, kind of excavated from my mind four years ago I think I would have been much more mentally stable because it allows you to stay in alignment so what I mean by this is if you start a startup when you're obviously like a side hustle when you're working another job because you hate your job so much and you need some sort of other stimulation and you're basically doing it as an outlet for your own 
mental stimulation and engagement and like cognitive um, excitement. I think that's quite a dangerous precedent because you are dismissing the fact that this is not just an outlet like writing poetry, having a swim, going on a walk in nature. This is a job and this is something that carries a lot of risks, can lead to a lot of disappointment, a lot of rejection and just a lot of pain and kind of struggle. Um, So I think when you set out to start a startup, you have to kind of question what are my intentions? What are my expectations? What values am I going to implement that I can live by? And how do I manage my well-being so that I don't hinge my well-being on external things such as this startup? So, oh, if if this startup makes X in the first two years, then I'll know I'm a successful person, then I will be happy. So having that conditional thinking can be really toxic because we might never get to the future and to the conditions that we set upon ourselves. So we're always setting ourselves up for failure. So I think it's so key if you are starting something, it's the most exciting thing ever. And it's really brave. And, you know, people should be given the kudos for even just taking that first step. But just have the understanding that you cannot hinge your well-being on it. You cannot hinge your self-worth on it. And you have to live in alignment with your values as well and think, okay, you know, am I doing it for the right reasons? And um, also, am I also implementing self-care methods and techniques that are beyond my work and beyond my startup and are actually free space for um, a carefree outlet because a startup as much enjoyment as mine gives me sometimes it definitely isn't the source of my well-being at all so that's advice I would give key principles because it will be different for everyone but key principles I would apply is think about what your values are and um, allow that to guide your decision making so authenticity connection and compassion and creativity are really important to me and that guides my decision making a lot of the time. The thing is because on entrepreneurship especially as as a young person like navigating that that journey it, it can be extremely lonely it can be extremely because it's very high risk quite scary at times you don't really know who's turned to for certain problems and situations and so you know I've seen a lot of including myself like people struggle with mental health when it comes to you know, building your own thing, because it's kind of uh, everything relies on you, essentially. Like, so, so I guess, like, more, more day to day, how would you sort of like manage it? Yeah, and I just want to plug a brilliant book, which I recently read by an entrepreneur called Andy Dunn, who has just done a TED talk on exactly what we're talking about the relationship between being an entrepreneur and burnout and he's just written a book called burn rate and referring to the burn rate of cash in a startup and um he actually was diagnosed with bipolar at a really late stage after seeing the signs quite early because he kept pushing through and no one to get help and also the mania from the bipolar also was sometimes beneficial to him in the business sense. And then he'd have these huge uh, periods of depression and would always think it was to do with the startup, but never really kind of had that um, self-awareness of actually there's something deeper going on. And so, yeah, definitely recommend uh, checking that out. But he shows this graph in his TED talk that is from some academic paper, I think maybe Stanford Business School, um, I can't remember, but it shows that entrepreneurs 
have a higher rate of a burnout and mental health conditions compared to the general public because when you actually think about what's at play and what um, barriers and struggles there are is like what you said it's all on you there's no structure there's no governance there's no HR there's no line manager there's no uh, corporate kind of higher structure to hold you in place you're responsible for absolutely everything and any mistake is on you um, so it's really hard to kind of guide yourself when you are so new to it as well and it's all learning anyways um so there's there's a lot at play the risk is really high always having to fundraise um not having that stability and having to put way more hours in than the average job during a working day so yeah lots of factors so I guess like yeah day to day sort of how how would you manage that sort of thing so I think it comes back to what I was originally saying before is uh, making sure that you do carve out time to have time for reflection and time to actually just be still and have some silence away from the external noise of LinkedIn as much as I love it and um, all other startup news and comparing yourself to other entrepreneurs. I think everyone's going to love hate relationship with LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, looking at Forbes 30 and 30 being like, I want to get there. Da, da, da. Like you need to just be able to have time to reflect on your own self and personal development and um, really just have a support system, whether that's friends or family or a mentor from a previous job. It's so important to have connections and be able to talk to people about problems you're facing and then also engage in practices to help really tease out what's um, bothering you and get to know your mind more um, because the more you suppress and avoid and keep yourself busy, the more in those empty spaces when they do come everything will unravel so I think it's really important to dedicate time to yourself whether that's going for a really brief walk um, in nature particularly because we know that um, green spaces have a really powerful effect on our mind but also there's studies show that it can lower your blood pressure and really help with stress management and just really being able to engage in some healthy lifestyle practices as well so not having multiple takeouts that you eat at your desk whilst prepping for calls and writing you know different legislation papers whatever it is and making sure that you actually do look after yourself uh, because at the end of the day I have to say this to myself every day um, because I feel like I I'm just a doer that needs to learn to stop sometimes and I, have, I always say to myself you can't be everything to the world nothing to yourself it's a really simple thing but it's unbelievably important because I've experienced burnout, I've experienced depression, I've experienced panic attacks, and it's not they've not all been directly linked to being an entrepreneur and having a startup, but wow, I really need to look after myself anyways, and everyone else does too. Yeah, you're fully it just just because of the nature of the of the role, because as you said, everything depends on you. And you're always kind of like trying to satisfy external things, just given that it, again, it's the nature of the of the job, like, you know, getting emails from investors, getting emails from customers, trying to sell stuff, or I don't know, like writing a LinkedIn post, like you're always, everything's sort of like, like you just have to do everything because people, people demand a lot of you given, given the, the position you've put yourself in. And so, yeah, you don't, you don't put as much time and mental energy into, into yourself. And I think what really changed everything for me was like taking your time, taking time to basically like reflect meditate to see is 
is this like am i am i on the right path am i like going down the right path of like um hitting my purpose that sort of thing and sometimes the answer is no because sometimes you kind of gear yourself in a position where you're kind of just like working for the sake of it because you're just like you're just so used to it so then mm. then you can kind of like prioritize yourself and being like okay i'm now working for something that i that i know in the long term this this will deliver me that sort of like purpose that i want um because i've i've done it so many times where i'm literally just like replying to emails when i'm like hang on i don't know if if like this this sort of project that i'm undertaking is is going to deliver that you mm. know um, so I think you can very much just get used to the grind rather than actually like getting passion from the grind. Yeah. And it all comes down to agency and, uh, kind of mindfulness and making sure that you're not in that automatic mode where you're not being conscious of what your values are, what your actions are and what your mission, vision and goals really are. And I think it's really important what you said about, um, taking time to meditate and reflect and, I like to say like the three R's and for me that is reflecting, reframing. So if I'm having negative thoughts, thinking about how I can reframe them and then redistributing, the third R, redistributing my energy towards something less negative and more purposeful, whether that's me taking myself off to just go and read in a quiet room or having an early night or replying to an email that, I know will help get you know whatever kind of stress that's been going on but I think the key thing is is just knowing we won't know anything we won't know that there will be positive outcomes and that's really kind of comes down to attachment and obviously you want to put pour your soul and passion into it but we have no idea whether it will be a success or not and that's what I think is so important to find that balance between not having that all or nothing attitude um it's really hard, but I have tried to work really hard on the attachment side of it because if it fails, you can't think of yourself as a failure. You have to find a way to move on and carry on living your life. Exactly. Rather. So That's uh, very true. Yeah, very very challenging, but uh, it's all a work in progress. Yeah. We're going to have to stop the podcast there, Ali. Um, it was such a pleasure having you on and talking about all this stuff. I think you might actually be the first doctor on the podcast. I don't think we've actually had a, a previous podcast. Like in the in the 120 odd episodes that we've had, <laughs> I think you are number one. Well, there um, is a catchphrase called Doctorpreneur and it is becoming quite a big um, hashtag on social media. So watch out for all those doctorpreneurs out there. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So how, how can people stay in touch with you and your journey, what you're, what you're up to? So I've got a website, www.dralijaffe.com. I do a lot of keynote talks and consultancy work for startups. So check that out. And I'm also on socials such as LinkedIn instagram and twitter and my handle is at dr ali jaffe thank you so much ali absolute pleasure i'm sure we'll see you very soon thank you so much